Have you ever awoken to find yourself out upon the ocean? The wind is in your hair, the full sails, the water streaming past, the sea surrounds you and your crew. It's been weeks of sailing southeast, southeast, always southeast, weeks of islands and small villages and weeks of hearing that music calling you a once unfamiliar tune now thrumming again in your veins when suddenly out there ahead is a dot upon the horizon, the dot to become a line, the line to become an island. There is an island, a mountain at its centre, a great rising structure. There's something about it, something that is calling you. It's the music you realise. It's the music that has been calling you since the beginning, the source of it all. It is coming from the mountain, from the island. This is it. You make your way to the island, a foreboding mountain peak high above you. They say the curse of some old pirate lives here. They say the fountain of youth might be found here. They say this is where Nirvana lies. This is where the heavens open. This is where everything makes sense. And you're not sure about such rumours, but you know that this place has been calling you. So you set anchor in the harbour and up the mountain, you trek. Over boulder, up the path, along the way, there are stone steps and there's some signs of someone having once been here before, up the mountain again, around and around, up the mountain toward the top of this place. You scale tiny paths alongside cliffs and wham, a booby trap almost knocks you off. You get to the other side though, there's a series of stone steps and you've got to take the right ones or down into some spikes you would fall. Tentatively, you make your way across around a corner, another booby trap, around another, there is another. You make your way through all these blockades that are there to stop you and for a moment, you consider turning back around. Then one of your tribe tells you, you know, the only reason they put booby traps it's because you're right near the treasure. And that makes sense. They don't booby trap where you shouldn't be. Booby traps are a sign you were on the right track. So you keep going past one and another and another. And there in the crack of the cliff is a door. It is the entrance to some underground temple. This is it. This is the place you know it is, the music coming from here, your tribe, they know it too, and they tell you they'll wait right here, but there are some paths that we all must walk alone. So you say your goodbyes and you enter inside. You enter inside. And it's darkness and the hint of something sacred and a barely burning torch light to guide your way through a cave and another and one more and there before you is a labyrinth. Not a maze to get lost in, but a labyrinth, a prayer labyrinth, one path that leads around and around and toward a centre and then away from that centre and toward it and away and you circle it and you walk it around and around until finally after moving around and around you come to the centre of the labyrinth, to the centre of the cave, to the centre of the mountain, to the centre of the island the centre of the ocean, to the centre of the world, to the centre of yourself. You have come to the centre of yourself. And so sitting there in that circle, it is indeed he or she or them that you meet looking back up at you is you sitting in the circle at the centre of the labyrinth. It is you singing a song, the melody that you have heard. It is you who has been singing to you all this time, this whole journey. It was never about finding treasure or fame or glory. It was all about meeting yourself. And this self that is you at the centre of this circle, at the centre of this labyrinth, 
They look up at you with all the kindness and knowing of humanity. This is humanity looking back at humanity. And this humanity looks at you with all the kindness and knowing of a God who loves you. God, humanity, you, this place, this earth, it is all one and it is all sacred. And this God is the heartbeat of humanity and humanity is the heartbeat of you and you are the heartbeat of God, the tempo with the song that they sing. It is the song that we all sing. It is everything that binds us all together. It is everything. This whole journey was all to bring you to this realization that you are but one tiny thread of the blanket that wraps itself around everything. So you call out to your tribe that have journeyed all this way with you and they come rushing into the cave and you wrap them in this blanket and you are holding them as they are holding you and you are holding God as God is holding you and you are holding the earth as she holds you and you are holding humanity as she holds you. You are holding and you are held and you are threaded and you are woven and you are here. Friends, you are here. This, the deep, deep place. Welcome to The Deep Place on Creativity and Spirituality. Friends, you are listening to Season 3 of The Deep Place Podcast. And in this season, we are going on a journey, the creative journey. My name's Joel McCarrow, and I'll be somewhat of a guide through the strange and wild lands that make up our creative worlds. So would you take my hand, shake the dust, pick up your packs, and let's go. The Deep Place podcast was recorded on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations, a land that was stolen. As a podcast, we pay our respects to the traditional custodians and storytellers of this land. And we thank Aunty Dyke her, for her blessing to tell stories and poetry on this land. Okay, before we even get into today's episode, I am interrupting us because I really don't want to muddy the waters of this episode because actually it's like, like I've just been listening back through it and I feel like it's possibly the most important episode of the podcast that I've ever done. It's possibly one of the most important things Honestly, I I have been in tears listening back to this episode because I think it takes us to the heart of everything that matters. I know it's weird to say that about your own podcast episode, but I I really this this episode is important. This episode is important. So I wanted to name just two things that I want to name for you before we get into the episode so that you can just listen straight through it. The two things are that I have just released two things. Super exciting. I have just released um, my new poetry book, Even Lost Things Glow. It's a compilation of some of my older poetry and a whole lot of brand new poetry that brings together thoughts around when we are in the dark spaces of our lives. What is it that brings us light and illumination? What is it that guides us forward? Uh, And it's filled with both written poetry, but also there's like 21 different QR codes that link your phone immediately to the Spotify versions of the spoken word slash music track of that poem so that you can have this fully immersive poetic experience listening to the music, closing your eyes, drinking wine or a cup of tea and and feeling the poem as well as reading it. So it's a a book that also brings together this this poetic immersive experience. I'm really excited about this book. It's just been launched, new poetry book. You can get it from joelmacero.com. And also the other thing to mention is that the first single of a new poetry album called Flow 
an improvised poetic meditation. The first single of that album is coming out soon. I'm going to talk a whole lot more about that album because the wonderful woman, Chelsea McGow, who's a cellist from Nashville that I did the whole album with, uh, is going to be on the podcast, like in the next few, um, the next few episodes, maybe even the next one or, or the next one after that really soon, Chelsea McGow. But for now, go and check out Spotify. There is a new single on Joel McCarrow and the Mysterious Few on Spotify or on iTunes. Go and have a listen to that track called Let Go. And again, it's it's an experience of meditation is the whole idea of what this whole album is going to be. I'll talk about it more uh, coming up, but go and have a listen to the first track, to the single. And, and once again, I'd, I'd advise doing it with a wine or a tea in the hand with your headphones on in silence by yourself and let the poetry speak to you. But for now, friends, let's get into this super important episode. Oh my goodness, friends, what a journey we have been on. What a journey we have been on. And it feels like we're coming to some kind of ending. Well, it feels like we're coming to what we might call the midpoint of a story. And it's not necessarily at the midpoint. Ours is going to be right at the end because I can't just keep on doing this podcast forever and ever and ever this podcast season as much as I am loving it. But I'm going to talk about the midpoint in a bit, this point of realisation in all narratives that sits at the heart of so many stories that we watch and listen to and engage with. And you've just heard this moment in metaphorical sense for the journey that we have been on. Um, We have been longing for what lies beyond us. This, This island, this mountain, this cave, this inner sanctum what we have been it's what we have been drawn toward this whole time on this um this this podcast journey that we've gone on it was never this has never been about having a successful creative practice which is a wonderful thing and it's and it's part of it but this is something so much profounder this journey we have been on this is a coming to that which we long for And I'm not just talking, obviously, this podcast journey. I'm talking life journey and creative journey and perhaps the very thing that life is all about, that all of us have this innate desire, this longing, this ache for something more at its heart. It's what Ronald Rollheiser, who's a really fantastic writer, it's what he actually calls spirituality, the, the, the place where our ache and our hope stem from, this, this place of longing, of desire, of wanting, of, of feeling like we are empty and wanting something more, of feeling like we don't belong and seeking to belong, of wanting to know who we are, of being drawn towards this place, this thing, this, this deep, deep place where the unfamiliar has been drawing us all along, both the Aching pain and the delicious hope is what Ronald Rollheiser calls it. Aching pain and delicious hope of our lives that come out of this longing, that come out of this longing. I I truly believe it's this longing for connection. It's this longing for connection. In fact, even the word sexuality, sex, sexuality, it comes from uh, the word sectaire, which kind of sounds a bit like secretaire, doesn't it? Which is those things that cut things, you gardeners, you know what I'm talking about. Um, secretaire means to be cut off, to be severed or disconnected from the whole. When something is sexed, it is, it's cut off. And so our sexuality is all the ways that we have been cut off from connection and all the ways that we seek after that connection. That, that's our sexuality, all the ways we've been cut off and all the ways we seek to refine our deep connection that we have with ourselves, with the sacred, with each other in intimacy. Like sexuality is not just about what we do with our bits. <laughs> it's, it's what we do with our heart. It's, it's who we, it's our desire for connection that comes out of all the ways we realize we are disconnected. 
that for me is what lies at the heart of of our sexuality and therefore our relationality in all the different senses like at the horizontal between me and others it's it's what we call sexuality relationality at a at a vertical between me and the divine and the and the sacred it's it's what we call spirituality and and as for our creativity as well it's the same not vertical or horizontal though it's about these two but but almost at a at a inner to an outer like if 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 sexuality is that um, horizontal connection and and spirituality is that vertical connection i think that creativity is actually the inner to outer connection like creativity is an externalizing it's the movement of taking this longing that we find inside and mapping it onto the outside world through music and poetry and instrumentation and paint on canvas and photography and and interior decorating and whatever it is, creativity is the externalizing of our inner world, the externalizing of our longing, of all the ways we feel disconnected and all the ways we seek to be reconnected to others, to ourselves, to God, to the world, to sexuality, to who we are. John O'Donoghue, who I always quote and always talk about, uh, one of my favorite writers ever, he says this, he says, the human heart is inhabited by many different longings. In its own voice, each one calls to your life. Some are easily recognized and the direction to which they call you is clear. Other voices are more difficult to decipher. Between all of these is a longing that has somehow always been there and will continue to accompany every future moment of your life. It is the voice of the eternal longing within you. When we lie down at night, if we're not exhausted from the day and fall asleep straight away, when we sit there pondering and wondering, I think we are actually tapping into the eternal longing that is within us. That, as John O'Donoghue says, it comes out in, in different ways. It comes out and looks differently for each of us as to what we are seeking. But I think what truly what we're seeking is, is the longing for connection. The longing for connection. And I think that is what we find in the centre cave, at the heart of it all the centre island, the centre of the ocean, the centre of the mountain, that cave, that labyrinth, the centre of it all, I think, is connection. C.S. Lewis, uh, who wrote Narnia series and he wrote lots of other stuff. He's a, um, a Christian-based writer. He's a Christian fella. And he, he wrote this in one of his books. It's kind of one of his Christian theology type books. But I loved, oh, I loved this piece of writing of his. Uh, it's called the, in, in his book, The Weight of Glory. Of course, there's a lot of things we could critique about C.S. Lewis as there is about everyone else, uh, including me. Critique, <laughs> don't, don't, I was about to say, come and critique me, but I, I don't want trolls. So please don't um, troll me and critique me. Um, let's just enjoy each other's company rather than critique each other. <laughs> each other. What am I talking about? I'm talking about C.S. Lewis and the weight of glory and getting distracted. C.S. Lewis says this, in speaking of this desire for our own far off country, which we find in ourselves even now, I feel a certain shyness. I'm almost committing an indecency. I'm trying to rip open the inconsolable secret in each one of you the secret which hurts so much that you take your revenge on it by calling it names like nostalgia or romanticism or adolescence, the secret also which pierces with such sweetness that when in very intimate conversation the mention of it becomes imminent, we grow awkward and affect to laugh at ourselves, the secret we cannot hide and cannot tell, though we desire to do both. We cannot tell it because it is a desire, because it is a desire for something that has never actually appeared in our experience. Like we cannot hide it because our experience is constantly suggesting it and we betray ourselves like lovers at the mention of a name. Our common most expedient is to call it beauty and behave as if that's settled the matter. 
Wordsworth's expedient was to identify it with certain moments in his own past, but all this is a cheat. If Wordsworth had gone back to those moments in the past, he would not have found the thing itself, but only the reminder of it. What he remembered would turn out to be itself a remembering. The books or the music in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trust to them. It was not in them, it only came through them, and what came through them was longing. These things, the beauty, the memory of our own past, are good images of what we really desire. But if they're mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshippers. For they are not the thing itself, they are only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never visited. See, C.S. Lewis, I think he is inviting us into this, with this beautiful piece of writing, into this sense of longing, into this sense of there is something so much larger than myself or my own experience. There's this thing at the heart of humanity, at the heart of who we are, at the heart of, I would say, all of creation, at the heart of everything. There is this longing that, that we can't even really name. Then we give it things like nostalgia or romanticism, adolescence. Is, is what he named it as. And perhaps we give it other names, um, like, I mean, romanticism, like romance today, like um, friendship, like intimacy, like sexuality, like creativity, like all of these things. I wonder if beneath it all, beneath it all, at the centre, the centre of the labyrinth, the centre of the island, the centre of the ocean, beneath it all is connection, our longing to know and be known. Our creativity is all the ways we seek to know and to be known. And I think our creative blocks are all the ways we fear being known. And so we allow that fear to transpose into coping mechanisms to push people away. With our creativity, yeah. With our relationships, yep. With our spirituality, yeah. All of us have these ways that we, we because that's the thing, we both want to, we want to be seen and known, but we don't want to as well. But the offering, the invitation, I think of creativity and I think of all of the different um, faith traditions that you can think of is actually an invitation into, um, into connection, into the deep, deep connection that all of us have. Like I'm, I, I come from a Christian background, as many of you know, if you've read my book Woven, you would know that well, and I've wrestled with lots of different things within Christianity. I've studied a lot about faith and theology and spirituality. I'm no, I'm no interreligious expert. Like I haven't uh, done extensive, extensive study in, into uh, Judaism and into uh, Islam. And I've done study into them, but not extensive, extensive that I could call myself an interreligious expert in any sense of the way. But I've really, I have looked at them and I've studied them myself. Um, and what I found when I've looked especially at, because I've been fascinated by like Sufism and the, the beautiful work of Sufi poets. And w- when I have looked at the poetry that I've found within Sufism, that I've found within kind of the mystical Christian and the Celtic tradition of Christianity, I, I think what I've found, and I just, again, I'm scraping the very surface of these things, but others I know who have really studied in depth, in depth, in depth into, into Judaism, into the Kabbalah in Judaism or, or Sufism in, um, Sufism in Islam or whatever it might be at the heart of these, especially the kind of mystical traditions within wider faith traditions, there is this longing for connection that seems to sit at the heart of all of them, this deep, unexplainable longing. I mean, it's unexplainable, hence why it's in the mystical traditions. Our desire for oneness, for connectedness, 
and that we feel the loss of it, the loss of it and the desire for it. That is that is what our lives are made and shaped and broken upon. Uh, that is what our passion leads us into, our longing leads us into. Hence why, I mean, we're just talking way beyond creative practice, aren't we now? And our creativity is about so much more than just making cool art. <laughs> um, if this is the Deep Place podcast, this what we're getting into today is what I would say is like the deep, deep. We're going to the deep, deep, the deep, deep places. The deep place is our own internal life. And that most of the time, that's what I'm inviting us into in this podcast. But if the deep is our internal spaces of emotionality and reflection and, and that kind of stuff, then the deep, deep. This is how this, our inner places, our inner spaces, our deep place, how this connects in with the universal, with the thread of that blanket that is woven through all of us, with the archetypal, the way we're, the way that we're all part of that interwoven tapestry of existence, that I am separate from it, but I am one with it. There is a separateness to me. I'm not just um, I'm not just lost in. Um, you could think about it as I think it's Peter Rollins who says we're not just a drop in the ocean that now we're totally gone and that's just the ocean and there's no sense of delineation of me. We're more like a sponge in the ocean that soaks in the ocean all around us and so is one with the ocean but still has some sense of separateness or delineation to it. And, and that's kind of what I would, would uphold as well. There is a a some kind of delineation of me, the person that is Joel Michael McCarrow the names that I give myself, there's some kind of delineation between me and I, I am, I'm like one thread. I like that idea. I'm one thread in the great tapestry. My thread still exists, but I am no way, in no way am I, am I alone. I, I am separate from, but one with the divine. And I am, I'm separate from, but I am one with the earth. And I'm separate from and I'm one with myself and I'm separate from and I'm one with the people in my life. We are all interwoven. We are all interconnected. And this, as I said, is what lies at the centre of it all. What my creativity is all about is exploring that interconnectedness, is inviting us more and more into the interconnectedness of humanity. It's what we come to when we enter the cave of our longing where our aching pain and our delicious hope wait together for us to find them. And so to realise that this, this treasure that I find in the cave, as Joseph Campbell says, the treasure that you seek is in the cave you fear to tread. Oh, the treasure you seek is in the cave you fear to tread is actually the same treasure that you find. This, this is the heart of it all. The treasure that I seek is in the cave that I fear to enter. Like I want this. I want to be seen and known. I want interconnectedness, yet I fear to enter there. I fear to enter into this. I fear to give myself in surrender to the world, to others, to who I might be. This is the heart of it all, where I believe the heart of God lies. Like, I think it's why Jesus said, I and the Father are one, that relationality of God. There's that that doctrine in Christian theology, the Trinity, that, that you've probably heard of, even if you're not from a, a Christian background. The Trinity is the idea that God is not just one, but God is one and three. It's one of those paradoxical, mystical kind of realities that you have Father, Son, and Spirit is, is what it's often talked about. And so, Maybe you've heard about that and you've just not given two tosses about it. And like all truth, of course, it's become dogma uh, devoid of meaning. But what I think it's actually getting at at the heart of, at the heart of it is the reality that God is relationship. God is relational. Baxter, there's a guy named Baxter Kruger, who's a theologian, and he calls it the great dance, that the divine is one, but also not one. Like you and I are one, but also not one. We are connected and we are invited into the dance of the divine. And I think, as C.S. Lewis says, we give that names like beauty and things like that. When we encounter beauty, when we engage in our creativity, when we encounter justice in this world, when people are loved well, when when 
when those injust systems are challenged, when we see glimpses of this, we are being invited into the dance of the divine. I think it's what the Christ calls the kingdom of God. And Jesus came saying the kingdom of God is here amongst us. That's what I think Jesus is inviting us into, the great dance, this great relationality um, that is God, this beautiful invitation. This is what we find in the centre. When we come to the heart of the matter, at the centre of the cave, as we enter the cave at the top of the mountain, as we enter our inner lives. This is what in narrative theory, this realization is what we might call the midpoint or the pivotal point where um, the, the midpoint in a story is where everything changes. It's like often it's when everything has gone wrong and you enter the dark cave and you come to that deep realization that you needed to know. And so in our story that we have been on, you like it's coming to that deep character realization that will get them through when they're confronting the big baddie at the end of the story, if we're talking fiction um, or whatever it might be. But there's, the midpoint is actually, it's a misunderstood point, I think, within story structure. Um, and you might not give a story, stuff about story structure and that's okay, but simply to say, I think the most important stories the ones that truly move us are the ones where a character is deeply changed as they go through the conflicts and the obstacles that they go through. And this midpoint realisation happens when they come to that new point of knowledge that that often it's self-reflective, ah, oh, it's the movement from, often we say, again, in story circles, we say it's a movement from what the character wanted to now what the character needed. It's a movement from a character reacting and now as they hit this midpoint realisation, uh, now they are proactive coming out of that and they enter um, heading into the climax of a story. Um, and, and so this midpoint, like I remember when, remember way back in this season of the podcast when we got lost in the maze of the forest and way back in one of those first areas, what I think actually is happening is not a maze, but as I talked about it in the story at the top of this podcast is is a labyrinth. And, and there's a difference between these two things. I've looked a lot at this with me and my friend Dan Nixon, uh, who is a brilliant, wonderful screenwriter, uh, TV, children's writer, and we're writing a book together called Story Me. I'll let you guys know about more about that at some point. But he, he talks about it a lot in in sense of there's mazes, like mazes are those things that we enter into to lose ourselves. We get lost in. There's twists and turns and dead ends and, and all that kind of thing, what we think about in a maze. But a labyrinth, a labyrinth, I don't know if you've ever, ever seen one, but look up, um, even Google now if you're not sure what I'm talking about, Google Prayer Labyrinth. It's a kind of a, a spiritual tradition that has happened for years and years and years and years, many, many years, a spiritual practice, and it's a way of walking. It's a pattern made on the ground, and there's only one one path. It's one path, and it leads in and out and in and out and around and around and around and in and out until it makes its way to the centre. There's no dead end. There's no corners and you can't miss your way. You're, it's one path. It's one path. And at the centre, at the centre is the midpoint because then you come back out and you find your way out again through the one path. You walk the way out again. And what Dan would say and what I would say is we, we enter a maze to lose ourselves, but we enter a labyrinth to find ourselves. Like I totally believe that every time we we feel lost in the maze of our lives, like we're at a dead end, I think we're actually in a labyrinth, not a maze. And this labyrinth is always leading us toward the centre, toward the heart of it all. Because any, any obstacle in our path, in our life, is never like a dead end that now... Um, it, it's, more like, it's more like an invitation more and more into who we are. That as we live our lives, we're not... I don't believe we are lost in a maze. I just don't. I think we are walking through this labyrinth on the way to the heart of it all, on the way to the centre of who we are. So that's kind of the at the centre of who we are. We find that midpoint realisation. We enter into the cave where we fear to tread, as Joseph Campbell said. We find what's at the heart of it. And then from there, we take that knowledge. And, and my hope so much for you guys who are listening to this season of the podcast is that it, it, 
that it's caused you to go on a bit of a journey, that it's caused you to come to this thing that's been calling us this whole time, this longing that you have felt in the journey of your life. I hope you, I hope I'm, I mean, I can never give it a name, but I hope I'm, I don't know, helping you to see it in a new way, this thing that when you ache and when you desire and when you feel empty and when you have all these realities in your life, actually, it's this longing calling us forward. It's our desire to truly connect. It's what lies at the heart of it all. A few words from our sponsors. You know, even as a poet, (laughs) there's so many times when I have needed words and not known what those words are, as in I'm working through something, engaging with something, struggling with something, and I don't have the words. The Practice Co app, the Practice Co people, all their reflections. You can check them out on Instagram if you want. But so many times when I have not found the words, I've just been reading Liz's words and the different authors and writers she gets on for the Practice Co. And I'm like, that, that's exactly the feeling. So if you need that, go to thepracticeco.com and check them out. I am so thankful to have a um, a Christian theology college willing to support the work of the Deep Place podcast. I know that this is not a a Christian podcast and many of you listening aren't Christian, which is wonderful. Um, And and Christianity is one of those things that I just wrestle with all the time. Sometimes I don't even want to take on that label. Other times I I do and I try to figure out the best of it and I try to leave the crap behind. And you guys know me, you know, well, some of you know me, you know that I journey with this hard and I struggle with this hard and to have a college that's like, we appreciate that. (laughs) We want that. I think it's so special. Um, Go and have a look at acom.edu.au if you're interested in in accredited study, undergraduate, postgraduate level online. Go and have a look at their courses and, and see if something stands out to you if you're also from that Christian tradition. Now... (laughs) We are, I'm laughing because I I know we're going like really metaphorical and philosophical today. And maybe you're sitting there going, geez, Joel, you you have just gone, you're up in the clouds today. You are in the clouds and I maybe I am in the clouds today and it is hard to talk about this stuff and I know this is like, I mean, this is the deep place So this is creativity and spirituality. We've been talking a lot, I think, what lies at the heart of spirituality and what lies at the heart of creativity And so um, let me, maybe I have been talking up in the clouds, but let me bring it, let me try and unmuddy the waters if what I've been saying has muddied the waters for you and you're just like, huh, what the heck? Um, (laughs) Let me bring it down into a bit of a, let me tell you a story. The day you learn that you can hurt people uh, is a dark day indeed inside and out. And there's many people that I've hurt and disappointed over the years. Um, Friendships stretched and assumptions made and communication faulty. The night with rescuer tendencies in in a shattered armour. The loss of centre in the gravitational pull of someone else's brokenness, the giving too much of oneself and the reins of misunderstanding. I... I lay broken on the floor all that week. The week that I hurt those closest to me, the week I realised I'd been hurting all those closest to me for some time. Um, That was the week that ripped the blindfold off, uh, one I had been wearing without realising it, um, in in a friendship, a relationship that had become codependent and unhealthy. The codependence was was named and outed for what it was, a cycle of enmeshment, the entwining together of too much shadow, too much given and too much taken. Uh, We both said sorry at the end and she left. Uh, I've seen her very few times since. I, the rescuer, and she who could not be rescued, not by me, not by anyone but herself. It's amazing how one can lose oneself without realising it. It's amazing how one can lose God without realising it. It's like taking step after step after step and then looking back to see only a mark on the horizon. I lay on the floor all that week feeling the sinking blackness of having betrayed those I loved, 
having betrayed myself, having betrayed my calling, I, I felt small and ashamed. Um, ashamed that I would lose the sight of the finish line, ashamed that that good intention could be coated so thickly in, in darkness, um, ashamed that what I most loved in this world, to journey alongside people, had become the very thing that crippled me. And that same week was when my my first girlfriend, um, she died in her sleep. I hadn't seen her for quite some time, um, but back as a as a teenager, we had dated, um, and and that was the same week. Uh, was when she died as a. And as a wedding photographer, I, I had, at that point, I had like three weddings to shoot that week. Um, it was one of the worst weeks of my life. It was like losing two best friends. It was the smallest I had ever been. I remember lying on the lounge room floor, um, fetal. I get up and shoot photos at a wedding and then go back to the fetal position. The next day, shooting a wedding again, then coming back home and lying fetal once more. I mean, interestingly, those wedding photos were actually some of the best that I ever took. But at the very end of the week, um, I had this encounter, this transcendent moment, this vision, you might call it. I had this image in my mind that kind of named the reality of, of what was happening. I, I saw myself riding armoured with sword and breastplate and shield. And, and then I saw myself falling from this horse. I saw myself flailing. I saw the me on the ground and the divine hand reaching toward me and fingers pressing into my chest. And they pierced through the chest armor and then they pierced through my flesh and all the way down through to my heart cavity. And then came this tearing apart, chest cracked down the center to open the cave inside that held my heart. And it was barely beating my heart. It was covered in thick ash and hardened and it was black. See, when, we, when, when the veil is torn away, aren't we all crumble and fracture somewhere inside? Aren't we all shadow? Aren't we all barely beating heart and sorrow and grief and absence and ego and all the ways we have tricked ourselves and condemned ourselves? The hand, though, reached in and it took my heart out of that cavity and it held it tight. And then slowly, so slowly, the hand began to pump and, and the ash fell away and the hard coating peeled back and the thick red of life was still in there somewhere deep. My heart began to find a beat again in the hand that held it and beat and beat and the blood began to flow and that final piece of black cracked off and as it did I as it did I screamed like not just in this vision in my head but I lay on the floor of my lounge room and I remember screaming this piercing cry of an arrow bled hawk it echoed around the house and out into the forest and beyond my house and it echoed back to my ears and and in this scream I am um, weirdly I heard a freedom and I and I felt a freedom I, I hadn't realized um, that I'd lost my freedom like not until that moment I hadn't realized how much of myself I'd lost I hadn't realized that I had indeed become a barely beating heart, that my passion was gone. And as you know, I am a passionate person, that my, that my fire was like extinguished, just barely burning embers. I didn't know who I was anymore. My, my God had been left behind, the one who for so long had felt so close in my life. I can't even pinpoint when, but somewhere back along the track, I'd stopped talking to her and stopped listening to her and stopped attending to her. I'd stopped, I mean, I'd stopped listening to myself. I'd stopped attending to myself. This, like, 
this moment, it wasn't just the unravelling of, I don't know, systematics and dogma and theology, it was, it was the unravelling of my soul, uh, of self and purpose and intimacy and and ego and shadow and the very experience of God. It was, it was, it was a loss of faith. Um, and it was a finding of faith all in one. Um, it was a loss of like faith in myself. Like I was, I was always the one, I was the one who was going to like change the world and bring them out a better place and journey alongside people to, uh, to help them do so. And yet I had given, I had fallen into, given myself, fallen into whichever way you want to look at to this uh, codependent thing. And, and now with, I, I, I could hardly get up from the floor. Um, I screamed, uh, but then, like, then I did. I slowly got up, and and I remember with the little strength I had, I I pushed myself up from the ground. I stumbled into the the bathroom, and there was a mirror there, and I looked, I looked my broken self in the eye. I I couldn't look God in the eye, um, but I could look myself in the eye, and I tried to say sorry to the stranger that was looking back at me and I, um, I punched the mirror instead. Thankfully it didn't smash. I was the one who'd been smashed. A million pieces scattered on the floor. I'd lost my form and my definition. But the hint of the whisper of, of that freedom that came with my scream on the lounge room floor like that freedom I realized was what I desired. I, I, that I had a desire to come back to wholeness. That was the smallest slither of hope. And it, it would take a long time to collect up all the pieces of me after that week. And a lot longer to put them back together. But they came back together, not as before, but as something new, as something mosaic. The beauty that comes from the ugly. You know, the way of doubt is the way of doubt and wrestle and struggle and the caves that we fear to enter and the dark nights of the soul. It's the way into the deep, deep. If we allow it to be, beauty can take us there and justice can take us there and pain can take us there. As I said in one of my poems, pain too is a baptism. The hardest thing that we ever have to do is to confront ourselves and open our eyes and look ourselves in the mirror, to come into the cave that is inside to realise that it is us who has been calling us to name our own fractures and our broken and all the ways that our ego has got in the way and all the ways that our shadow has gotten way too large. The hardest thing is to, to open our lives and to give ourselves in the screaming face of our isolation and all that wants to take us away and hide away and hide away, but to actually open that too, like in uh, the story at the start of this, in the midst of the cave of seeing ourselves there to call in our friends, our broken and beautiful friends to say this journey is not one. Yes, we go alone into our inner world. It's the only way we can, but we don't do it alone. We don't do it alone. That Our friends, our tribe, our people, our crew is all around us, holding us and the realisation that we are all messed up, broken, beautiful, human, divine, mixed in all together. We are humanity together. This realization, friends. I, I entered the cave that week. It was, it was totally a midpoint in my life, a great awakening, a great awakening. An awakening often feels like a tearing. 
when when it's when we by our own making or when we are forced when we come upon the cave of our own isolation and longing and loneliness and pain and sorrow and grief and abandonment and all the ways that we feel that cut the the secretaire cut the dissection this is where we meet ourselves in the cave this is where we meet god this is where we meet each other this is where our creativity becomes so much more than we thought it ever was for our creativity is just another way to enter into the cave and in all the ways that beauty takes us into places of awe and our creativity takes us into places of awe and wonder and surrender we this is where we meet ourselves this is where we meet god this is where we meet each other in the deep deep yes it is a a metaphysical transcendent moment of something we can't even name for naming it, giving it words and descriptions can only ever cheapen it. And But that's what creativity is, is what poets we're writing about. We're naming the nameless and giving imagery to what we can't see and speaking of that which cannot be spoken. Friends, may your creativity, may the journey of your creative life take you into the cave. May it take you into your longing. May it take you into your aching pain. Oh, may it take you into your delicious hope. And then may everything else flow out of that deep place within. May everything else flow out of that deep place within. Our creativity, our relationships, our spirituality. Like even with our, our creative practice. Let's bring it back to that. First, let's name that this, like this, when we can create out of this, this is why that no matter how successful our thing, no matter how great our creative project, it'll, it'll give us a glimpse. It'll be an echo but won't get us there. Like when when you are when you create something, when I get to stand up and perform and give my heart to something and it's amazing and it's incredible, um, and I tap into the deep, deep place within the next day or, or the next hour I get off the stage and and the post show come down happens. Like when you finish a book and, and you, you publish a book and it's out there in this world and the next day you just feel crap. But this is, this is life. This is all life and all life is an offering. In terms of our creative practice, we enter the cave and our creative practice calls us to enter the cave of our longing and all the ways we seek to belong. I think it'll always be there. I think it'll always be there. We're always going to be walking up that mountain. But here's the, uh, someone once told me, you know, when we come back around to that thing, that, you know, that thing that's always there, like that thing that just keeps on coming back again and coming back again, that thing that we're like, ah, I thought I left this behind. Like I thought I changed this part of my life. I thought I got over this ego part of me. I thought I got over this broken part of me, this part that wants revenge, this part that's full of regret. I thought I worked through this thing and yet I've come around again and I'm here again. Ah. Someone once told me, I forget who, I have no idea who it was. They said to me, instead of thinking about it as like a circle, like a flat circle, like coming back around to this thing again, think about it more like a mountain. That every um, circle that you make, when you come back around, you're not back around at the same place. You are higher up that mountain. And you are looking at this thing that has always been there in your life. You're looking at it through a new lens, a higher lens. And then you do another loop. And yes, you might come back to this thing. But you're higher up the mountain again. 
and, and you do another loop and you're higher up the mountain again. And each time this thing, you can see it differently. You're not, our thorns in the flesh is what, um, what the Bible calls it. Uh, a thorn in the flesh that we plead to just get rid of. We want to just get rid of this thing that keeps on coming back and stabbing us and stabbing us and stabbing us. The more I live life and I'm in, well, as this comes out, I'll be in my 40s. I'm just about to hit 40. <laughs> What's that? Like halfway, midpoint, midpoint of life. What am I saying? The things that we want to leave behind, I, I'm not sure we can because they're a part of us. And so we enter the cave and we and we look at them and we find them there and we wish that that was it, that they would just be gone. But they won't just be gone. And instead, the offering is to integrate them into our lives, to stop running from those monsters and become friends with them. Or maybe not like besties, but <laughs> like talk to them, ask them their name and ask them where they came from. Circle that mountain again, come back to that thing again, you're going to, I do all those things that I wish I could leave behind in my life. They're still here, but I'm seeing them differently. I'm seeing myself differently. And it's the invitation to the deep, deep, the invitation to the cave at the center of it all that has helped me to see it differently. So as you go in your creative practice, there, yes, will be those things that you keep coming back around to and coming back around to. And the other things that will be there is also those booby traps. Remember the, the opening uh, story? Um, I was talking about booby traps on the way up the mountain. And this is some stuff that I loved from Andy J. Pizza. <laughs> I think that's, I don't know if that's his actual name, Pizza, last name. I don't think it is, but that's what he's known as, Andy J. Pizza. He's an illustrator, uh, creative pet pod. Creative Pep Podcast, um, really fantastic podcast, and he talks about Art Island, and and on Art Island, there's there's treasure there, and surrounding the treasure is all the booby traps. Surrounding the treasure is all the booby traps. In other words, when we when we hit these obstacles in our creative journey, the booby traps are there. Those hard things that we want to that we face, then want to turn away from and run away from they only prove where the treasure is. Like if you find a booby trap on your creative journey, on your relational journey, if you find a booby trap on your journey, it's, it's not going to be protecting nothing. It's protecting something. So when you hit those ridiculously hard things in life, perhaps it's not a sign that you're on the wrong track. But actually, it's a sign you're on the right track. So keep pushing, keep searching. The treasure is closer than you think. The treasure that lies at the center. And this is what that, um, that, that thorn in the flesh, that thing you keep coming back to, you keep coming back to that same damn booby traps. But what they're proving is that this is where the treasure lies. If we're willing to step into that thing we most want to run from, we will begin to discover the treasure that lies at the center of the cave. And so heading towards some kind of finish on this very philosophical episode, um, but hopefully, <laughs> hopefully helpful, hopefully helpful podcast episode for you. Um, please remember from here that all of this, the good, the bad, the ugly, the broken, the beautiful, the hopeful, the, the confrontation that you have with yourself, all of this is life. And may you, in your creativity, may you refuse to let go of this aching pain and refuse to let go of this delicious hope, refuse to let go of this longing that is in you. These, this is the important stuff, the beauty and the ugly, aching pain, delicious hope, the, the bitter and the sweet, death and life, sorrow and joy, fear and love, these two powers that play out over and over in all the stories, in all the world, these two powers that play out in our lives over and over, and it is our job to name them and to refuse to let go of either the, the womb and the tomb, 
Like they're really just a mirror of, of the reality of all that lies between them, the womb of new birth. The womb of new birth that only can come with pain and tearing and blood and screaming and, and yet it brings about such beautiful life. Like it's the way of descent before new life come and the tomb of death that that holds with it a loss and an absence but also an invitation into new life, into to resurrection, into whatever existence may be beyond this physical reality or into the new life that comes through loss and absence for those who are left behind. It may not be the life we want, it's a different life but it's there. Red flows in the beginning with the womb And in the end, with the tomb, pain is constant, but so is beauty, and so is love, and so is hope, pain and hope, pain that leads to death, and pain that leads to new life. I have seen both, new life, new life that always outweighs the pain of our suffering. You know, my my creative journey, it began and I've told this story before, I'm not going to tell it again, on the border of Thailand and Burma, I'm not going to tell it again now, I'm sure I'll tell it again other times in my life. It began on the border of Thailand and Burma uh, when I had to bury a, a baby boy. Um, you can read about it in in my book, Woven. Um, what I often don't get to tell people about is is the next day, like the day after to digging a grave in Thailand for a baby boy who died too young. We were then um, taken by our wonderful host to these waterfalls, to like this crystal clear cascading sculpted stone. It was so stunningly beautiful, this place. And I remember diving down into the depths of the dark water and I swam underneath the waterfall and came up behind the waterfall into a cave that that was nestled in behind the curtain of water. And I remember coming up out of the dark water and screaming, like literally screaming. The sight was so overwhelmingly beautiful. The sun was coming through the water of the waterfall. And, and so the sun was striking against the cave walls, but the cave walls were made out of that like crystalline rock, out of that sparkly stone rock. And so like crystallized. So the, it was just like this explosion of beauty that was so overwhelming. And I remember sitting there watching other people enter into this cave who um, come up as well, like the friends that we were there with. And each person like had this visceral, almost screaming, like, <gasps> like this incredible moment. It, it seriously was one of the most beautiful things I've ever, ever, ever seen in my life. This splay of, of light around this crystalline cave. It was like a cave of wonders, like Aladdin should be there hanging out, chilling out the water, the formations in the cave, the whole place shone and dazzled as the water roared and the light bounced and scattered and glittered. It was an explosion of magic. It was the day after that I buried a boy. Like the, the next day from, from the most, one of the most horrific experiences to and sorrowful experiences that I've ever had to the sheer beauty and delight. And this this is life. Like, this is the cave that we enter into. Sometimes that cave is dark. Sometimes that cave is dazzling. Sometimes that cave is pain. And sometimes that cave is beauty. But every time we enter the cave, we are meeting ourselves again. We are meeting God again. We are meeting each other again. And we are coming to the heart of it all, to that deep connection. Friends, this is life. This is reality, death and birth held together, faith and doubt, sorrow and joy, hope and despair, love and fear, shadow and light, the womb and the tomb, side by side, all the way through our lives. When I think back through the moments, like the ones that truly matter, 
both of these things are pressing up against each other and cannot be separated. Aching pain and delicious hope, and both of them come out of this deep longing. It all fits here, friends. None of your life is not worthy. It all comes together here in the deep cave. We are woven and the world is woven and the people are woven and God is woven and it all comes together in this interwoven blanket of our existence. This is our hope and our trajectory. So sit in the tension of all that life throws at you and see if you can find a weave within it. Your creativity may not look like what you hoped it would, but it's yours. So own it. Your spirituality, your faith may not look like what you hoped it would, but it's yours. So own it. The joy and the doubt and the wrestle and the struggle and the faith and the hope. The world spins, the seasons come and the seasons go and the age grows and our choices are made and suffering and beauty come amid spit and laughter and deep lungfuls of life and blood and hope and joy. And I, I echo Mary Oliver's wondering, what are you going to do with it, this one wild life of yours? What are you going to do with it? Who will you become in this world, this existence? This is the heart of that unfamiliar tune that we have heard from the beginning of our journey and we will hear on and on and on again for the rest of our lives. Friends, what will you do with it? What will you do with this invitation?